Hi. I'm Kelly Harlock. And I'm Sasha Kelly. And you're listening to That Classical Podcast. Welcome, everybody, once again. Or hello for the first time, if you're new. Today, we're going to talk about the composers who were pretty horrific people. It was inspired by my dating life, Kelly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm preaching to the choir. Um, so they're pretty horrific people, but they made some beautiful music. So it's a really interesting contrast we've got today. And Sasha, who will you be starting us off with? I'm starting with the baddest of all the bad oh, guys, Kelly. I'm starting with Wagner because he's someone oh, who, like, God. don't we all talk about? Everyone's like, oh, he's so awful yeah. and things. But Nazis. exactly why was he? Well, why don't we find out with a cheeky 60-second biography. Good luck to Sasha. It's her first ever <gasps> I'm one. I'm, and I'm a really slow person, no, Kelly. I'm always slow. It's going to be absolutely fine. I'm really excited about it. Okay, so you're going to time me? I am indeed. Are you ready? Oh. Are you steady? And go. So he's born in Leipzig in Germany, 1813, lives through to 1883, a respectable amount of time. He wanted desperately to go to university, but because he hadn't finished school, he did informal study. He did formal study for six months, but he studied heaps of scores, mainly Beethoven. He does lots of things. He falls in love. He travels around. He ends up in Russia, married. In 1893, they have so much debt, they have to run away from Russia. And this is basically what Wagner does best, run away from stuff. Ooh. They get on a boat to London. They go to Paris for a while. He starts making money by writing articles and short stories. He goes back to Dresden, where he has a jolly time. He gets caught up in a political upheaval. He has to leave. He doesn't Halfway come through. back to Germany for 12 years. He has an affair with the best friend of a woman who's paying his bills. No one seems to like that. He writes about his idea for the total work of art. He writes Judaism and music. No one seems to like that either. He starts writing the Epic Ring Cycle in 1848. Basically, Lord of the Rings, the opera. He has an affair halfway through. He starts writing Tristan and Isolde. He starts taking gigs for money. One of these is in London, where he meets Queen Victoria. She writes that he's short, quiet, wears glasses, and has a hooked nose. Ten seconds. More movement happens. He's banned from Germany. He's lifted. He starts working on a new opera. The King Ludwig gets the crown and is in love with him. Clears all his debts. Time passes. Wagner oversteps the mark. He has to leave. He's been having an affair with Cosmo von Bülow, this illegitimate kid. They have babies. He goes to Switzerland. Mina, his first wife, dies, so he gets to remarry Cosmo. Um, they build by Ruth. The festival happens, but it loses money. Wagner says never again, and then he dies from a heart attack at 69 in Venice. One minute 13, but I'll oh. allow it. Hey, look, hey, no, this one's a freebie. This one's a freebie. That was great. I actually am already learning things about Wagner that <laughs> I so never knew. so much stuff happened My to gosh, him. he was a busy lad. Why don't you give us, like, the highlights? What, what are the main things to take away from that? Oh, my gosh. Okay, so I think what I really learned learning about Wagner is that a lot of people, and I'm not really going to go into a heap of detail about it because I don't speak German, and so I haven't <laughs> okay. really read his Judaism and music, but that's the main right. reason that everyone thinks of him as a really bad guy, because he wrote a lot of like anti-Semitic stuff. And he loved, he was like mates with Hitler, I thought. Oh, no, he, I think he died before Hitler. Oh, really? Yeah, or yeah. Hitler loved him. Hitler, Hitler okay. loved Wagner. Got it. And was really, because, you know, Hitler wanted to be an artist, and he really bought into yes. all of Wagner's writings, because oh. Wagner wrote a lot of stuff as well. Mm -hmm. But basically, um, he wrote some really anti-Semitic text. But he also just wasn't a very nice man. Okay. And the re he had like four or five, maybe more actually, affairs. And most of the time they seemed to be with the wife of the person who was paying his bills. <laughs> that's, a, that's an interesting move, isn't it? I know. It's like, you know, if you're going to have an affair, probably don't pick your boss's <laughs> wife. Yeah. Um, because then, of course, when it all comes crashing down, like you're you have screwed. Yeah, mm. exactly. He often overspent money too. And um, he just was like a fairly terribly behaved person. Also, the two times he seemed to be happy in life, he managed to get involved in like a revolution and had to leave. So that's why he left Classic. Germany for 12 years because... okay. He was in an unsuccessful uprising and they were basically like, 
everyone who was involved in this, you have to leave. See ya. Yeah. And then the <laughs> other time was when King Ludwig, who's the guy who built the Disney castle, you know the one that Oh my god, the actual one. Yeah, yeah, in, yeah. Like, the mountains and yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. In Bavaria, I oh, think. Nice one. Um or near Munich. Okay. Um so that guy, the guy who built that, he he became king at 18. He was super young. He was in love with Wagner. He was gay. Okay. And Wagner kind of led him on. So Wagner would write back to his letters, like, pretending <laughs> that there was a chance. Yeah. Like, the ultimate... I can't really say that, but the ultimate tease. <laughs> yeah. Insert word before. Um, <laughs> the ultimate tease, just, like, leading him on and being like, yeah, yeah, of course. What a you know. horrible man. And then, like, took all his money because King Ludwig was a bit obsessed with him. Um, oh, no. And so he also built that really nice castle and he well also funded Bayreuth. So okay. the big festival that the ring cycle happens at every year and the one that's like kind of at the end of his life that oh, he wow. and Cosima built together um basically that's where all his money came from but ba- yeah so he was leading wow. on King Ludwig he was not being very nice to him and then because King Ludwig listened to him so much he started causing massive like political problems in the court and all his other advisors were like you have to leave ask this composer guy to leave like he's terrible (laughs) you're spending too much money you've got no money you seem to be obsessed with his basically all of his money for the like the country yeah yeah he was like but art is the best i mean art is the best but you also people need to eat yeah classic um Mm. and i mean obviously he spent it on castles as well so I mean, it wasn't if you're gonna spend <laughs> yeah right. yeah i mean disney's happy because now they have their like image that they have at the beginning of every movie they're doing well so everyone all's well that ends well but basically i wanted to focus on um a piece called the siegfried adil because there's so much about wagner right that you can actually like delve into i had like, a really interesting life and he went or obviously, from what I was saying, he went all over the place. He went to London, he went to Paris. And was he mainly... I mean, we remember Wagner today for his operas, right? Yeah. I mean, he really mainly wrote opera. Did yeah. he try and write a symphony at some point? I think he wrote, like, a couple of instrumental pieces. And Siegfried right. Idyll, that we're going to hear, is one of them. Brilliant. Um, But basically, most of his life was operas. Got it. And if you want to kind of get involved, like if you want to try them out, the best way is to go and listen to the overtures, which are just instrumental. And there's plenty of like uh, Wagner's best overtures, album 56. (laughs) Got it. um, Wow, that's what I call Wagner. (laughs) 56. (laughs) Oh my God, we should definitely start making those. But basically, um, the ring cycle is the one that he's most famous for, which is Lord of the Rings, the opera, or... I think I was thinking oh. about this on the way here. Okay. I think it should be Game of Thrones, the opera, because yes. there's incest right. in Game of Thrones, and there's incest yep. in the ring. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh. Yeah. I mean, mm. not great. Um, <laughs> I read a quote the other day. It's like you should try everything once except incest and folk dancing. I'll get behind that. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, although I would actually try folk yeah. dancing. <laughs> and I've, I've heard Morris with the sticks. I've been told reliably that it's quite fun. The mm. folk dancing. Sorry. <laughs> came out <laughs> oh dear that's taken a dark turn but so what, already what's um, the what the Siegfried Adele yes okay so so basically um the woman that he ended up married to at the end of his life was Cosma Wagner mm-hmm. but who was originally Cosma von Bülow and she was the illegitimate child of Franz Liszt she um Hans von Bülow was learning piano off Liszt mm-hmm. um Cosima met him they kind of fell in love and all like you know got married mm-hmm. um had kids and then 
Cosmo had already met Wagner, but on their honeymoon, they went on this big trip with Franz Liszt as well, which I think is a bit mm, weird. That's awkward. Yeah. Don't, don't bring your dad on your honeymoon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, that's not romantic. And one of the places that they went to was Wagner's house. Okay, for the honeymoon. Yeah, for their honeymoon. <laughs> okay. Very sure. I mean, not Bali my would be great. <laughs> but uh, yeah, sure, let's go to your house. Exactly, yeah. cocktails on the beach. No, we're going to go to this old guy's house <laughs> yeah, great. Um, and just hang out and play piano. Great. Um, so basically that started the beginning of their kind of like infatuation with each other. Okay. And what Wagner did is he kept... Hans von Bülow was obsessed with Wagner. Wagner tended to attract these men who oh, became like, God. Yeah. thought he was like the second coming of classical music and would just like do okay. anything to be around Not him. Not in like a I love you way, like no, the, the just king like man, everything but... you write is genius. Like this is what I have to do with my life. So okay. Hans von Bülow like said to Wagner, like I'll be your musical director. Like I'll rehearse all your premieres. I'll like work really hard to get all this happening. So Wagner took advantage of that because he really liked his wife and like got a cottage on his estate, always insisted when he got a new benefactor that Hans von Bülow was also paid for. Mm -hmm. And basically what happened is he and Cosima started having this affair. Right. They had three kids together. Right. And, like, she would be like, oh, no, Hans, don't you remember that other time we had sex? No. When Hans was away and, like, would just pretend they were his kids, even though they would have oh, been, Hans. like, she must have <laughs> been pregnant for, like, 14 months. Anyway, it got so bad that... <laughs> When they were, like, living where King Ludwig was, mm. this is one of the issues. Like, all these people were like, this guy's clearly having an affair mm. with Cosima. Yeah. And they all had to go into court in front of the king. And Hans von Bülow was so enamoured with Wagner that he was like, no, no, they're definitely my children. And Ludwig was in love with Wagner. Everyone yeah. in that court Everyone was like, was Wagner, like no, oh, so dreamy. And, yeah, basically, they were just like, no, he's like, no, no, they are my kids. And everyone's like, but the maths on the calendar <laughs> the doesn't basic, work basic up. Maths. Um, but then, and also, sorry, I forgot this. Wagner was married to someone else this whole right. time. Right, okay. Well, yeah. It makes it um, worse. Her name was Mina. And then basically, oh. it all came to a head that, like, Mina died and then Wagner was like, I'm free. Like, Cosima, how about oh, it? God. They went back to court. They got their marriage um, dissolved. Okay. And Cosima and Wagner remarried. Got so it. I just think, like, that whole... When you really read all the details of what they did, <sighs> they were massively, like, just pulling the wool over Hans's eyes and taking advantage Terrible of him. Terrible people. Terrible through people. Through and through, I would say. But <laughs> Siegfried Adil is what he wrote for Cosima on her birthday. This is her birthday present. Her birthday was Christmas Day, and she Tough wrote one. in her diary... Did he give her two presents, one um, for her birthday and one for Christmas? Well... That's kind of important. <laughs> I don't think so, actually, now I think about Another it. reason why he was a terrible person. <laughs> yeah, there. you should always get a <laughs> December on. birthday, Make the two effort. clear presents. <laughs> yeah. Noted. Um, I think that's a very valid point. Me too. Um, she writes in her diary that she woke up to the sound of music and she came out of her room. I mean, was I Julie don't... Andrews there? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think this is just a note for anyone who wants to take me on a date. Okay. Serenading is the worst thing. Oh my God, it's the absolute worst. <laughs> a bit like stuck in someone's bedroom while they play you the guitar oh, and play you their own songs. I think it's happened to me Stop twice. Now. And both it's, times yeah. I've wanted to die. Yeah, I, like university <laughs> times. Like not even then is it acceptable. Oh, Disgust. no. So just a public service announcement. Yeah. <laughs> 
don't serenade don't people. serenade sasha yeah particularly <laughs> yeah um so basically she woke up she came out of her room she writes that they had a spiral staircase no 12 musicians lined up on the staircase oh, and they dear. just started playing this piece was anyone speaking was anyone talking did I, anyone I say happy the- birthday <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't good another spoiler it doesn't have the tune to happy birthday oh, in it what? it is um and then they went and had breakfast and then they came back and they played more music they just played like okay. some beethoven and mozart i think Great. um and she just said it was the loveliest thing that anyone had ever done was she lying maybe <laughs> she but we'll really never awkward? know <laughs> anyway when wagner got broke like another like a few years later again because he was always like just running out of money mm. um he had to sell the rights to this music so for a number of years it was like just hers oh. and she wrote that was one of her greatest heartbreaks i personally oh. think this is just one of the most like I do think this is one of the most romantic, luscious, beautiful melodies. Mm. And if you want a little taster of the ring, it uses heaps of the melodies from it um, in this, except it's only like 20 minutes long instead of 14 hours. Great. I'll so take it's a that. good starting point. <laughs> so shall we listen to some of it? I'm really, really intrigued. Oh. So, okay, like, let, let's put our cards on the table. <laughs> I've never really been a huge fan of Wagner. Um, but because, do you know why? Because I'm actually one in the camp where I'm like, it's a really full on and everything's like, blah, 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 blah. And I like opera, but I find his pieces just too, they're too much for me. But now and then, what I found with Wagner is you find this little gem of this like calm, romantic, like beautiful thing. And this is one of those things. Oh, absolutely. Like it's so romantic and lush. I it's love it. It's so beautiful. And I also think that you're completely right. <laughs> okay. Because, okay, so I'm going to like cards on the table. Hit like me. honesty yeah. time. Go on. Um, This is the first piece that I kind of really got to know of Wagner's. And I think it's a really good place to start because it is like Mm. short, it's edited, Mm -hmm. it's romantic. (laughs) There's no wild vibrato. Right. It's exactly, it's all the melodies. It's really luscious. It doesn't give you a facelift through the speakers. Do you know what (laughs) I mean? Like that's what generally happens with with Wagner. But also like Wagner, and also it's full of like, like, Wagner's like it, the best thing about him is the climaxes of the pieces right, like, there's yeah. no way to say that yeah, yeah, anymore yeah. indelicately <laughs> yeah, but it. basically just like that's the whole point of the ring is that you just wait for this like these final chords at the end of it that mm. you're like I waited 14 hours yeah, for this wow. was it finally it? there mm, <laughs> but um but this one it's only 20 minutes of waiting and then Delightful. yeah but you do have to like put the edit you have to put the effort in at the beginning and listen to the first 15 minutes to get that final five minute payoff at the end amazing so there you have it it's a a metaphor for life a beautiful piece from a terrible man i can't wait to hear the next one that classical podcast 
So um, I've got another piece as well, Kelly, that I want to play because right. we've been talking, well, you know, we just <laughs> disparaged Wagner's operas and how much we don't mm. like wild singing. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, seeing as he did write hours and hours and hours of opera, we should probably listen to a little tiny bit. Fine. Yeah. And um, <laughs> just so we can get an idea of what it's like. Um, mm. This is, we don't normally talk about specific performance actually on Mm -hmm. the podcast at all usually it's more about the music but i've picked this little section from one of the bits of the ring a because like i was thinking having seen it what are the bits that stand out to me like what are the bits i remember Mm. and this is a bit that every time it plays i just get a grin on my face because i think it's really fun can you tell us like is it possible to give us a really brief synopsis of the ring (laughs) or like what happens around this time okay so i'm gonna get this horrifically wrong because I'm, I'm so doing it from excited. memory but it is based on the same original myth that the lord of the rings is also based on so if you right. if you do go and see it or watch it um a lot of it well you'll be like hang on that guy <laughs> because Gollum, a lot of what it, are you doing here? yeah um from memory basically there is a magic ring at the beginning standard a character finds it there's these rhine maidens who are like protecting it Mm -hmm. um he takes it they're like don't do that it's bad and he's like see ya and he runs (laughs) off with it um somehow it ends up with some this is so (laughs) right i love this (laughs) somehow it ends up with this other guy Siegfried, and he's Mm-hmm. Like he's supposed to be known, he's like known as like Wagner's ideal hero, which is like really, really handsome, really, really built, but really, really stupid. Okay. I don't know why that's <laughs> okay. Wagner's idea yeah. of the perfect man, but there you go. Um, like a forget, like a hot Samwise Gamgee. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, great. I think he only turns up in like the third or second of. Oh my god, I'm getting this so wrong. This I'm so great. sorry, everyone. No. Um, there's. But in the original one, and it's all out of order, um, in the original there's, like, twins who fall in love and have a baby. That's where he comes from. Gross. Sorry. Okay, That's right. Mm. Sieglinda and um, Zygmunt fall in love. Okay. They're twins. Right. They have sex. Right. They have a baby, oh, Siegfried. <laughs> he gets the ring. I can't remember how. He has to put it in the ring of fire at the end to destroy it and Mountain. bring down the gods. Got it. Yeah, which is why okay. it's called... Um, uh Damarung, which is the which is the last opera in the cycle, which is like the death of the gods. So it's really it really is Lord of the Rings with a bit of incest. Oh, absolutely. There. Okay. And there's like a Mother Earth, Erda, who turns up and she's okay. like, I foresee that everyone is going to die. Galadriel. Yeah. Great. There's um Votan, who's like the king of the gods, and like okay. he originally was with Erda, but okay. then he ran off with I've forgotten her name. Okay, fine. Um, it's, All right. It's, like, complex, and I've done it a massive disservice. I, I really enjoyed and that. And I know I'm going to get lots of emails <laughs> from people saying, what yes, was yeah. that? Um, but, but, it basically needs a whole podcast in itself. It's so detailed. Let us know if you want a podcast about the ring cycle. <laughs> yeah. Genuinely, we'll, we'll do it. And I will walk back everything yeah. I just said. <laughs> It'll be totally different. Uh, but, okay, so the anvil, this thing that we're about to listen to now, like, what's happening? Yeah, the happening? forging song. Forging song. So this is um, when you first meet Siegfried. Got it. And um, he's singing about how much, how strong and how good looking and how great he is. And how stupid he and is. And how much fun he has, like, hitting his hammer. Um, <laughs> he's a simple man. Yeah. Love it. Um, and he's always played by what we call a Heldon tenor, which is like a particular type of tenor voice that is Ooh. like quite, um, has like an almost baritone quality. Now I'm talking like 
I'm putting out opera terms there. Basically, it means a really, really strong, high male voice that has the power to cut through like a hundred plus piece orchestra. Incredible. But they often have like a bit of a darker sound to okay. them. Okay, love so, that. So, um, and they're incredibly rare. Like there's only ever a couple, a handful of men in the world at any one time who did, can sing this stuff. Did like Pavarotti sing that? No, no. So with, um, Pavarotti is what we called like a lyric tenor. Ooh, so love that. Yeah, okay. which is exactly what the he, name he suggests. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, he sings melodies beautifully. Nessendorma. Um, held in tenors, the, one of the most famous at the moment is Stuart Skelton, um, okay. who's an Aussie, 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 Aussie. Um, and... Oh, I've forgotten. Um, and Jonas Kaufmann's considered one. Right. But we're going to hear one of the most famous now, which is Siegfried Jerusalem. He had the same name as his character. Was he what? as handsome and dumb? Oh, you know, I don't know. I haven't really looked <laughs> okay. at a lot of pictures of him. Fair enough. Um, but he was a bassoonist. Okay. And um, so his anvil playing, because when you hear this, um, he's singing and playing the anvil i don't know if it's a thing but he's like hitting a rock in time really really well Mm -hmm. and again i don't know why it always comes back to my own ability but anytime i have to do anything at the same time as singing yeah oh it's impossible it's so hard it's so difficult yeah Yeah. and so i think like listen to this and imagine singing over 120 musicians yeah do acting and then also being like i better be in time with my anvil expected mm. what i expected was like and like i didn't think that it it would be like a, a kind of rhythm of its own yeah like, and the amount of focus and also like exactly what you said this kind of um what was the tenor called again Siegfried jerusalem or the the, oh. um, the kind of tenor oh held in tenor a held in tenor so like his voice has to cut through all the orchestra but it also has to cut through a freaking anvil being smashed and it really does like he he obviously nailed that um, i could just imagine being there being like is it on one and three or oh god but, like, is question, it the <laughs> question is there i have i made this up or is there sometimes someone backstage doing the actual anvil sounds or is it always the actual tenor himself do you know what i think it would depend on the production the ones i've seen okay it's usually the, the, the poor the tenor. tenor has to do it. <laughs> but I'm sure there's been instances where, like, you know, the ring, yeah. um, the number of musicians used in it, there's so many percussionists. I'm sure there's been instances where some right. poor person... Yeah. I mean, it's like the magic flute when... um. What's his name? Papageno yeah, has, has to, to play the flute. And yeah. it's always like... Yeah. And their fingers always move in the opposite direction. Yeah. 
But yeah, this is one of those rare examples where he just nails it. He, honestly, I was amazed. And it is quite funny. And actually knowing what he's saying, like, I'm the best, like, I'm so cool. And then just, oh, I actually, thank you for bringing that into my life. (laughs) I really, really enjoyed it. So what should we, you know, if we want to explore Wagner further, what's our next step? Where should we go? Well, I definitely think start with the overtures. Okay. Like go find Mm -hmm. um, like a Spotify or Apple Music or something like that. Like go look at like the best of Wagner. Yeah. And his like preludes, like to Tristan and Isolde, all my days. That's one of my favorite, only favorite (laughs) Wagner pieces. Exactly. And because he wrote them um, for every act. Yeah, exactly. There's not just like you know, mm-hmm. Barbara Seville. It's not just, like, one at the beginning. It's, yeah. like, they're the whole way through. Totes. Um, And then there's another version called, like, The Ring in 60 Minutes. I don't think that's the actual title, but someone did, mm. like, reorchestrate all the highlights. Um, Great. Oh, I'm going to get on such a tangent. But, yeah, because basically the whole of The Ring, the 14 hours, like, every character had their own motif. So it's a bit like John Williams with Star Wars. Got it. Everyone has their own themes. Right. Um, so there's a... a 60-minute version of it as well. Great. Um, but dive in and and try it because he, he is Marmite. Like, he's he does a terrible person. <laughs> let, let's reiterate. He is the worst, <laughs> but arguably his music is the best. Yeah, I've got to say that's true. Did you know that Classical Podcast has a Patreon, which means we got a few people to thank. Yes, we do, Kelly. So a huge thank you to Barrett Clark, David Bolland, Jacob Schultz, Jessica McCardera, Maria Shaughnessy, Nosna, Feyang Pan, Chris Wooten and Rachel Williams, Ian Prout, John Tetty, Michael Soto, Jonathan Safford, Francesca Basculic, Ryan and Katina Austin, Jackie Marie, Alex Baxter, and Gabriella Urbanic. Thank you so much, guys. And if you're interested in becoming a patron, Sasha, where do they go? What do they do? What can they find on our Patreon? When you become a patron, you get a special Patreon playlist with all our favorite music. There's a monthly newsletter, there's bonus episodes, and you'll be first in line for TCP merch. Exactly. And you'll also get a very special shout out on the show. So if you do want to become a patron, please do head over and have a look. All right, Kelly, so who's your bad guy? Okay, right. As far as, like, horrible, terrible people go, this guy's pretty high in the rankings, Mm. I think. His name, Carlo Gisualdo. Um, You may have heard of him. You might not have. But after this episode, you're certainly not going to forget about him. Let's (laughs) let's put it that way. All right, you all set for your 60-second Let's hop in. Let's just do it. Ready, steady, Go. Carlo Gisardo was born probably 1566 in Venosa, southern Italy, and was surrounded by music from an early age and played the lute. His mum died when he was seven, and because his great uncle had been the Pope, and his current uncle was a cardinal, his uncle was like, Carlo, you're coming to Rome to live with me, and you're going to be a priest. Then his brother died, which meant eventually he would become the next prince of Venosa, so he abandoned becoming a priest and instead married his cousin, Maria Davalos, when he was 20. Two years later, Gisardo found his wife in bed with a random duke and murdered them both on the spot. More on that later. So he did eventually become the prince of Venosa, and in 1594 he married again. Instead of murdering her, he had tons of affairs instead including Halfway. one that, that was so kinky the women in question were tried for witchcraft his wife understandably didn't like him much so he spent a lot of time in Ferrara which was full of Italy's finest musicians and it was here he wrote his first book of madrigals eventually he returned to his castle in 1595 where he set up a group of resident musicians who would sing his own music and never leave he also organised a group of servants to beat him every day and never leave more on that later in 1603 he published two sacred motet collections and kept writing heaps of Ten madrigals seconds. his wife asked for a divorce fair enough and Giuseppe lived in isolation and depression he died aged 47 in 1613 in his castle which he apparently still haunts <gasps> Oh my god, I didn't know how I knew about that he murdered someone and that's about it. Okay, yeah. yeah. He like 
no redeeming features for this. I mean, arguably his music, but I'm not sure anything can redeem you from like murdering people. And yeah, let's get right to it. I mean, Absolutely. We remember Giswaldo today. I, I want to say mainly because of his gruesome kind of story. I mean, in terms of like the night in question and what happened. Absolutely. Like he didn't have a happy marriage with his wife. Also, it was her third marriage. So I think she was like, okay, eh. <laughs> a lot for those days. I know. And apparently like both her husbands had died. Like, oh, whatever. Okay. Um, but basically on the night of October, this is a true crime podcast now, guys. Uh, okay. Get ready for it. Oh, we can put it in that section. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> Perfect. You can reclassify this. But basically in October, on October 16th, 1590, Gisualdo, so he had basically not known about this affair that his wife was having for like two years. He found out about it and he was obviously very upset. So one night he was like, I'm going out to do some hunting, really (laughs) unsuspiciously. And then like where his wife was, like he told the servants to keep all the doors unlocked and stuff. He like had- Is that quite suspicious for those days? Would they like normally be- I think so. I mean, I'm not sure, but- um, all of it's a bit suspicious, to be honest. But anyway, mm. so he, uh, you know, goes out hunting, uh, but then comes back to like where she is with this guy, breaks down the door to catch them literally doing it. And he had three mates with him as well. And they all just <laughs> went in and just like murdered the crap out of his wife. <laughs> Not just a gentle, and the Duke. No, simple murder, no, but so, uh, like, he a hectic murder. He genuinely did horrible things to them. So he used his sword, he used a gun. He like was just like horribly mutilating the bodies and everything. And then he was like, oh. okay, see ya. Um, and ran away to his castle, went on a tree cutting rampage, apparently, <laughs> so that he could see like unlimited views of like his surroundings to see people who were like declaring vengeance on him and just like waited out the storm the worst thing about this i mean other than the horrific murders that took place was that the next day all these officials turned up to the crime scene and they interrogated all the witnesses who all said yeah just and his crew came in <laughs> they killed them they came out then they went back in because just apparently was like I don't think they're dead yet. And then went back in to do more horrific things. So everyone said this and saw it. But, and I didn't know this before, back then, if you had noble status, you were genuinely immune from the law. So they had all this proof. They knew that he'd murdered two people, but they couldn't even touch him. So he just got away with it. He genuinely just walked free, even though all this so stuff... So what stopped... I mean, this is maybe a bit of a tangent question, but mm. what stopped people just murdering people left, right, and center Not a then? lot. Okay. <laughs> Clearly. And I think, to be honest, it, I read somewhere that it wasn't even that unheard of to kill your wife if she cheated on you. Oh my Which God. is a lot. Uh, seems a little unfair. Yeah, Wagner would have like <laughs> ended Jeez. up with a lot of people. Dead yeah, people in his I car. mean, I don't even want to think about it. But the question is, you know, all this considered, do we remember him for his music or for his horrible crimes? You decide. <laughs> uh, and you know, when he wasn't murdering people or getting uh, slapped by a servant, because do you remember I told you his servants used to beat him up every day? Yeah. So the two things I'd like tuned in. Yeah, because you were talking really fast, and that was I great. Was, but yeah. was kinky affairs that meant they were trying yeah. witchcraft yeah. and his servants beat him and can I'm, you elaborate I, a little bit i will but not right now oh, i'll okay. get there guys come yeah, on you did do the tease of like yeah. more on that later exactly like, but i want to know and i meant now. it but basically he he published a bunch of magicals he had six books of magicals he had three books of sacred pieces 
Um, and that's kind of all he did. And not that I want to influence your decision at all on whether he was worth remembering, but Stravinsky was obsessed with him. He thought he was this groundbreaking and wonderful musician and even wrote a piece called Monumentum Pro Gesualdo. Did Stravinsky know all his murdery yeah, stuff? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he did, oh mate. Yeah, I didn't really, didn't really care about that. Right. So <laughs> just have that piece of info in your back pocket. Okay. So... Just well as madrigals and sacred pieces are famous for these jarring, haunting, kind of disturbing harmonies. And at a time when younger composers were emphasizing melodic solo lines in like bar- like the Baroque era, Gisualdo was like, nah, I'm gonna put five voices in here and they're all important. I'm gonna just smush them all together all the time. And that's what he did. He was all about polyphony, which we've talked about before in the podcast. Now, the connection between Gisvaldo's music and his unhappy life really is not difficult to kind of experience. Okay. Uh, you know, towards the end of his life, he really, he it's like he wanted to be tortured uh, oh. every day. And so, yeah, so this is the thing about the sermons. So according to one source, this is a quote. He was afflicted by a vast horde of demons which gave him no peace for many days on end unless... 10 or 12 young men, whom he kept specially for the purpose, were to beat him violently three times a day, during which operation he was wont to smile joyfully. So imagine if that was your job. Like, he's like you're like in the village, just I having know, a beer on a Friday I afternoon, know. and someone's like, so what are you doing? You're like, ah, oh, my job is to be you know, that just well done guy. <laughs> you know, nine o'clock, really 12 awful. o'clock, yeah. three o'clock, you know, then I'm off for the day. An extra one if he's feeling, you know, yeah. fancy. He grins. We're all good. Oh God, it's awful. So you know what? Let's be honest, like he wasn't a well man. And, you know, he, he murdered two people pretty horrifically and then did some weird stuff with witches which we'll talk about later um but it all comes out in his music i i hear it and yeah. it, everything is kind of it, it almost like exacerbated because of what you know oh i really want to hear something um so here is a bit of a, a goosebumpy song from his fifth book of magicals called lo pur respiro i still breathe and he wrote this when he was well on his way to just like total madness the lyrics are like in such anguish i still breathe and you still live oh pitiless heart kill this life etc like emo emo stunningly uncomfortable take a listen to this Decide. <laughs> uh, what did you think? Well, actually, I've listened to some other Jeswaldo before, and I really didn't like it. But that's kind of that's really spooky and kind of creepy, right. and it really reminds me of. Um, have you listened to the Us soundtrack? Yeah, and it's got that really yes. cool way Just of like, using yeah. high, unnatural kind mm. of sounding voices. Really, really uncomfortable. Makes you really on edge. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then all of a sudden. 
you know, it's spooky feeling. And then about 30 seconds in, there's this chord that you go, hang on. Sorry, where did that come from? This is exactly what happens when you listen to any Gisualdo piece. Like he he pulls things in directions that you do not expect. Like he pulls the chords to places that shouldn't be there. And that's why everyone always thinks he was really ahead of his time because no one else was doing that. But do you think also it's like, you know, the kind of arrogance and a bit of a like, I don't care. I'm a nobleman. Um, attitude that you need to kill people and get away with it. Absolutely right. Of course he's just going to be like, I'm going to write this chord. Genuinely. He's going to come arrest me. I think his madness was like a really big part of his like composition technique. He was like, I don't give a shit. Wow. Um, And also worth saying that his madrigals are so difficult to perform. Can you imagine performing that as like uh, singers together? Oh, absolutely. Where do you get your notes from? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Where do you do that? Like the pitching must be so, so hard. So. And when was he, sorry, I should have listened mm. better but when was he alive like late 1500s early 1600s that's because that's kind of you know almost totally. when you talk about Stravinsky it's yeah. you know beginning of the century kind of stuff totally and sorry uh, the last century yeah and <laughs> it was so interesting when I found out about Stravinsky because so, I was like oh yeah you can hear kind of I feel like some of that jarring uncomfortable the nature of Stravinsky's pieces mm. like maybe in a part comes from that love of Gisualdo, like wanting yeah. to make people ugh, kind of writhe and kind of be uncomfortable. Oh yeah, it's, um, so, it's so on the edge of your seat. Listening. Yeah, but it's also really beautiful. And I, when I decided to do Gisualdo today, I was worried because I hadn't, you just don't hear that much about his music anymore. Like no one really loves it. You don't ask people what their favorite composer is and they say Gisualdo. You know, that's so, so true. I've I never was, heard anyone no. say that. And I was really wary of it, but um, I listened to a ton of his madrigals, and this was definitely my favorite one and my favorite performance of one because of that spookiness. And yeah, I mean, if you're going to listen, choose the spookiest one and enjoy it. Absolutely. For all its weirdness. That classical podcast. Next! Um, I would like to discuss Gisuardo's great religious work, the Tenebrae Responsoria, which is a set of vocal compositions for the Thursday, Friday, and Saturday before Easter. Can I just interject? It's just so ironic that there's like terrible, terrible men. Oh, mate. <laughs> terribly. Yeah, I, know. I can't come up with any other adjective. Um, Is then like writing religious texts and had oh, an uncle and... Uh, just wait. Well, yeah, I mean, and yeah. And to, everyone was involved in the church? To briefly gloss over the witchcraft thing, which I mentioned, uh, I can't, I don't really want to go into detail about it. It was... it. The, so the things he did with these two women were just like... I told Sasha about yeah, it. Yeah, Kelly told me off mic and I said, <laughs> yeah, we're really, not talking about that. I don't want to go But there. if you want to know more, it's all online, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's all online. Like, go if you want some gruesome details, go for it. But the weird thing about that is that these two women were tried because it was all kind of the occult and it was all really just weird stuff. And then they kind of were guilty and their sentence was to live with Gisualdo in his castle. Sorry, what? Yeah, that was their sentence, which... Kind of, I don't... So, I don't you're even, having sex in such a weird way with yeah, this man yeah. that we think you're witches. Yeah. 
But to punish and your punishment you is to live forever having with the this man that yeah. you have the kinky sex with. So I don't know about, you know, the law back in that day, but it seems he got away with murder and he lived with a couple of witches. So there we go. But yes, he was also like... Also, just sorry, witches. I love the way you said live with a couple of witches like witches are real. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, just live with a couple of witches. Casual. Um, but so yes, this is going to be his tenable response to it. And he composed uh, these in 1611, which was two years before his death. So... Not a great time for Gisweldo, hence the witches, etc. But these pieces are, I would dare to say, a bit more normal, a bit less terrifying than the magicals. But compared to the other kind of religious masterpieces of the time, obviously it's still freaking unsettling and kind of moving, but kind of weird. And yeah, as we're saying with the, the religious thing, like even though he did the terrible things and the weird witchcraft, I think he genuinely had a faith in God, and like I said, his uncle, his great uncle was the the actual Pope at one point. Yeah, which point. is pretty much the most powerful person. Right, exactly. Ever in Italy at that time. Exactly. And I think because of those roots and because he was a prince or whatever, of course he got away with murder, literally. But he had a faith and he kept writing letters to the Archbishop of Milan in this desperate attempt to obtain relics. So, you know, skeletal remains of saints and stuff. Um, he wanted his uncle's bones, etc. I don't know. And I think he, he hoped that these would kind of heal his depression and offer some kind of absolution for his horrible, disgusting crimes. This is, you know, maybe adding too much of a comedic effect to the end of this dreadful story, but I'm imagining Alan Rickman in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves as, like, my look for Jez Wilder. Oh, no. Oh, (laughs) you know what? Alan Alan wouldn't wouldn't be good because Jez Wilder, like, Jez Wilder looks like a rat, uh, he he he's so unattractive. He's like a skinny, and the people like described him as a kind of lean, thin-faced kind of black hair, just like a, just kind of spooky as a man. Wow. You know, the so description like a Rasputin kind of figure. Yes, like a Rasputin. Ah, okay. Exactly, the Rasputin okay. of classical music. Okay, so a less funny and um, oh god, but a definitely a creepy. Yeah. Oh, creepy dude. I can't think of an actor who would really do it justice at the moment. And but it's probably just... really like defamation against like, <laughs> Yeah. We'll get like cease and desist letters. Exactly. And we like just describe people in that way. Absolutely. So probably wise. Um, but anyway, so we're going to listen to from his Tenebrae Responsoria, um, Omnes Amici May. Uh, and, you know, he's doing his thing. He's pulling those chords in different directions. And, you know, yes, it's about Jesus, but it's also all about Gisualdo, like everything else in his life. The lyrics are, all my friends have deserted me and plotters have prevailed over me. You know, classic Carlo. Um, I think we should definitely give it a listen. Is it good or is it weird? You decide. <laughs> what, are, what are your thoughts? I'm the bastion of all opinion. Um, I've got to say, okay, so first of all, sad monk music just doesn't do it for me. Okay, I'm not really a magical renaissance person. Oh, I really am. Yeah. There you go. I know. I know. I think it's like one of those things you either really like or you don't. Sure. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I can hear all the stuff that you're talking about, like mm-hmm. that he's really crunchy, he mm-hmm. uses these chords mm-hmm. that you don't really expect. He was quite modern. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like the first piece. I've got to say that one's a little bit more like... Is it because it's less weird? Yeah. <laughs> I love that, I'm though. a bit like... I just don't like. It just sounds like a madri- It just sounds like right. Renaissance music like, to me. Because it's like we're here for the weirdness, but it kind of lacks in that one. Yeah, I mean, I can hear that. You know, there are some chords that I go, "Oh, okay." Like, exactly. It yeah. almost mm. sounds like a modern composer trying to imitate, like thinking, mm. "Oh, I'm gonna try and write a Renaissance madrigal mm. and see how I go." But I'm gonna. You know, I can't quite lose my personality of the 21st century. Right. And um, so it's his fifth and sixth book of Madrigals that are the really, really popular ones. And yeah, this this is a little more kind of mainstream from him, which is why I kind of chose it. And yeah. of all the pieces in the Tenebrae Responsoria, this was the one that I thought, aha, that sounds like something else you'd hear, like, of the mm. time. Okay. Um, to show that, yeah, sometimes he could kind of toe the line in that way. Mm. Um, clearly going through hell <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> and also, as you say, you know, you do get the, the odd chord that is a bit like, oh, hello, where did you come from? Um, also, so- I've got to say, while my opinion at the moment is mm. set that I don't like sad monk music, yeah, as yeah. my friend calls it, yeah. um, I love that. I can have my opinion changed. So please send me suggestions that you think will change my mind. I will do that myself as well. So <laughs> expect suggestions. <laughs> but yeah, so you know what, lads and lassies, that's just Waldo. He again, the worst, the absolute worst. I wouldn't say that his music is the best, but I'd say it's worth it worth a go worth a spin you know especially if you do enjoy sad monk music with a kind of creepy twist oh you know why wouldn't you of a saturday afternoon but definitely you know ha- take a listen to his madrigals maybe on halloween um yeah i'm gonna say 10 months early for the yeah, prime exactly. season but you can get ready have a run-up exactly and i would i would really love to know whether Gisualdo is is your favorite composer tell me why <laughs> if he is um but yeah hope you or if he was and now you've heard his backstory and you're going like, oh i should oh, rethink that decision yeah oops uh but yeah get a, get in touch That classical podcast. So that, ladies and gentlemen, was our episode on horrific, horrible composers who wrote some pretty nice music from time to time. Um, We would love to hear any composers you absolutely love, but you also kind of hate. Uh, And if you want to get in touch, Sasha, how do they do that? Absolutely. It's um, thatclassicalemail at Mm -hmm. gmail.com. But we've also got all the socials. So Facebook, we're at that classical podcast um instagram we're at that classical mm-hmm. um and twitter of course uh just search for at that classical podcast and we'll turn up so do make sure Somewhere. you get in touch mm. we love hearing from you and also um a lot of you've been asking whether we sort of have a playlist of all of our pieces which we uh, have used in the show guys head to spotify your, your new best friend for streaming uh <laughs> and just with that classical podcast we have a playlist under that name so just search for that and if you really Really enjoyed the episode please do leave us a review on whatever podcast please platform do you're using. five stars five star if pos but you know no pressure whatever uh and otherwise we'll see you next time bye, bye.